Welcome to the Pro Aging Podcast. I'm Steve Gurney, founder of the Positive Aging Community. We're excited that you can join us for our interactive discussions with pioneers and thought leaders on a wide variety of topics related to aging on longevity. Today, we hosted a discussion with Martha Wiener, who is the co-author of Transitional Keys, a guidebook to rituals to improve the quality of life of older adults. She shared a groundbreaking program that uses the elements and structure of ritual to ease people through transitions which occur in the second half of life. This discussion really opened my eyes to the value of rituals and ceremonies for many aspects of life that our community members are facing, including giving up the car keys. So let's jump into this engaging discussion. And I am delighted to welcome Marsha Wiener to the stage. And uh, Marsha is the co-author of a book, Transitional Keys, a guidebook, to, a, a guidebook, Rituals to Improve the Quality of Life of Older Adults. And uh, welcome, Marsha. And I feel very lucky to have received a copy of your guidebook. It's it's wonderful. I. Um, so I, I, we're going to get to know Marcia and we're going to dive into this discussion here shortly. But before we do, I want to sort of share uh, how Marcia and I came together. I, we had a discussion many months ago on giving up the car keys. And it was, um, it was a very engaging discussion and lots of, uh, lots of, practical tips were shared and i'm going to make sure that i drop that uh uh into chat for everybody but marcia was on the call and she reached out she had lots of great things that she was sharing in chat and then i was sort of like wow i need to i need to connect with this person and um she re we reached out and she talked and she shared this article that was written on her groundbreaking process and how it could be used to help someone ease uh, transition away from driving or anything else other than that than that. And uh, I said, you know, this would make a great discussion. And if you don't mind, let's lead with giving up the car keys. But then as we talk about, you know, rituals and things like that folks can think about the other things that they can, they may transition through and how rituals are important there. So um, that's my little introduction to how I met Marsha and, um, and just to make sure your expectations are in check today. Um, but Marsha, um, before we dive into uh, your, your presentation, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you into this line of work. <laughs> okay, well, thank you, Steve, for inviting me and glad to be here with your community, which is really wonderful. Um, my path has not been linear. Um, I started out as a young person. I was a modern dancer in New York, very involved in the art scene in Lower Manhattan. Got a couple of college degrees. I was teaching at New York University, comparative dance firms. I was always very interested in folklore and that kind of thing. And then I got a job teaching kindergarten. And um, that launched me into creating a lot of products and programming for young children. A Couple of years later, years later, when I moved to Northern Virginia, 
excuse me, I have an end of an old, of an old cold. Um, when I moved to Northern Virginia, I realized that a lot of my closest friends were gerontologists doing some really fascinating work, especially in the field of creativity and aging. I knew Susan Perlstein, who had done elder share the arts for decades, working with a variety of communities of older adults. Andrea Sherman, a very good friend, was at NYU at the Gerontological Educational Consortium. And I got to know Gene Cohn very well, who started the Department of Aging at NIMH. I worked with him on various projects. So it was during that time that Andrea and I put our heads together. And one of the things that we created was transitional keys. And that is kind of a nice segue into the short slide deck that I've got. If you want to just segue into that. Um, Absolutely. No, this is great. And uh, man, uh, Gene Cohn was quite a pioneer, wasn't he? He, he was, a, he was an, a remarkable friend, a stellar scholar, and absolutely, um, and absolutely, you know, a, a pioneer in the field of aging, that's for sure. So you can check, go to the next slide and you'll see that Andre and I were inspired by anthropologist Barbara Meyerhoff. And she was an anthropologist who did field work with indigenous people in Mexico. Next slide, please. Mm -hmm. And when she returned to UCLA, she decided she wanted to study older Chicanos in Los Angeles. And they said to her with a certain amount of candor, why don't you study your own people? Next slide, please. So she turned her attention to a senior Jewish senior center in Venice, California. And this was the beginning of the 1970s when Venice, California was in a downward spiral. Socioeconomically, it was crumbling. It was really in a bit of trouble, but this senior center was still a magnetic hub for a bunch of immigrant Jewish people from Central, from Central Europe, Eastern Europe. And what was interesting about this group is even though they were all immigrants and they were all from Eastern Europe and they all identified as Jewish, there was still a wide variety of people within that community in terms of religious practices, um, political, political beliefs and all. And in her study of these people, she, Barbara Morrow have concluded, here's a quote from her, that there is a universe of differentiation that remains a cultural wasteland for each of us to calculate and navigate alone without the aid of ritual or symbol. So Andre and I decided to dig into this issue of what is ritual? Are there elements we can distill that we can apply to the transitions that go into the ha second half of life for older adults? Next slide, please. And just the very use of the term ritual is very provocative. I mean, I'm sure anyone listening in is thinking about it and it can really scramble your brain a bit. I mean, where does ritual versus routine, ritual versus ceremony, if a ritual is rooted in a tradition, when does a tradition become a bad habit? Does a ritual event have to be repeated to have meaning? So there was all of this bushel of, of questions that we just decided to live with and just to continue to explore what is ritual. Next slide, please. And of course, next slide, please. The first thing that we realized is that there are a variety of rituals. The phrase we now use, I guess, is a spectrum. 
their personal rituals. Some people think about the beginning of their day. They'll get up, they'll brush their teeth, they'll take, they'll do 20 minutes of stretch stretches. They'll have their favorite cup of coffee in their favorite mug. They'll do the crossword and then they're ready for their day. Now, is that a routine? Is that a ritual? Does it matter the difference? We can talk about that later. Next slide, please. They're family rituals. They're the idiosyncratic things that hold families together. Someone told me a couple of weeks ago, they said for the past 18 years, every summer, the second week of August, we go to the beach. We take the same route, we rent the same cottage, we stop at the same fruit stand, we all get a peach, we sit on the same wooden bench. When we finish our peach, we take the pit, we toss it over our shoulder, and that's the beginning of our summer, of our summer vacation, a family ritual. They're also, next slide please. They're also community rituals. Um, there could be an historic reason, an historic uh, linchpin for the community that the whole community comes out to celebrate. There could be different divisions in the community that take opportunities to celebrate themselves, to reintegrate into the general community. Also, it's not necessarily all celebrations. I'm sure that next May 24th in Uvalde, Texas, that community is going to come together. They will reflect on the lives lost in that slaughter at the school. And as they collectively, whatever form that gathering is going to take, it will also be a measurement of how much healing has there been? Has there been any healing? What's the grief like today? What actions have they taken as a community to heal? Next slide, please. Again, communities have, have a whole variety of ways of celebrating and, and consecrating their existence as a community. Next slide, please. And it's there's civic rituals when you go and vote. That's a civic ritual. If you go to a ball game, they play a patriotic song in the beginning. Next slide, please. They're secular rituals. Regardless of the religious pagan roots of Halloween, it's a ritual that is ubiquitous throughout our society of today. Next slide. And again, this is the tooth fairy. And again, anyone who spent time with young children knows that their day is a snowball of transitions. And any caregiver, parent, teacher become accustomed to creating, to ritualize those transitions, to try to ease them. Going to bed, bedtime is one of the biggest ones. After all, it's when a young child has to say goodbye to the person they're depending on and trust that when they wake up, everything will be okay. Next slide, please. Whoops. Yeah, it's okay. And I also, it's, 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 and then of course, the religious rituals, the high religious rituals in church. Next slide, please. Regardless of faith, symbols of a Sabbath, the Hajj. Next slide, please. And some religious, I just moved to Minnesota. We went to a powwow, this beautiful gathering. Of course, you can't take photographs of the religious rituals, but it's full of regalia, full of symbolism. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. And it's interesting too, because if you were in, in, so rituals can run the gamut of being spontaneous to extremely crafted and planned. And we're all experiencing that now on September 11th, 
if you were in New York City, that entire city erupted with, with ritual expression. There were walls of prayers that people were just contributing to. There were, um, there were altars that people were making. They would put the photograph of a loved one who they didn't know where that person was. They would put around it objects they knew that person loved as if the artifacts in that box had some magnetic power to pull that person literally out of the ash. The city was just erupted in spontaneous ritual expression. And that's in contrast to what we're experiencing now with the death of Queen Elizabeth, this 10 day planned pageant ritual that's gonna culminate in a state funeral, which has not been seen since 1965 in January with the passing of Winston Churchill. Next slide, please. So again, this is a copy, this is a slide from 9-11. And here we are with in Britain. So again, I think we can agree, or I, regardless of how evocative the term ritual is and the spectrum that it lives in our psyche, I think we can say that ritual punctuates our lives throughout the life cycle. And for older adults, upon retirement, you get that watch or you used to, I don't even know if you do anymore, but there's still a bunch of transitions that ritual can help us with. Next slide, please. So what do all these rituals, what does ritual have in common? And I think we decide, we, we kind of concluded, next slide please, that there is a structure and a language. There's a beginning, a middle and an end, whether it's a spontaneous ritual or the 10 day choreograph that we're seeing now in Great Britain. And the language is one of symbol and sensory. Obviously, if you think about a religious ritual, there's music to get people to sway together and pray together, the smell of incense, the smell of candle wax, the vestments or the clothing that designated people might wear as, as well as what lay people might bring to a house of worship. So the structure is a beginning, a middle and an end, and the language is symbolic and sensory. And I think that it's also fair to say, next slide, that ritual provides a number of things. It provides order and clarity in times of change. It provides relief and comfort in times of anxiety. It provides integration and healing in times of loss. And it can provide continuity and community in times of reflection and celebration. So with that as the front matter, if anyone wants to share anything now before we dive into, how did we apply all of this to giving up the keys? Wow, this is, uh, what, what a great intro. And it really, so, so I will, so in, in chat, we've got Robert who says, I'm a healthy 85 year old male and driving at night is difficult. Any suggestions for driving at night for someone my age? And Michelle followed up and said, do you need to drive at night? And um, I, I feel like this might be a good place for us to kind of have a dialogue um, on ritual and specifically related to driving because you know, 
and I, 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 I gave, we've done two discussions on driving and they were radically different than, than the topic and the approach that we're taking. The first one was very much um, an evaluation of your skills to see if um, it's safe for you to be on the road. So what I would say to Robert or anybody else who's out there, who's sort of questioning, how can I drive at night? Um, you probably know the answer that if, if you're not comfortable driving at night, it, it could be a safety element to you and the people around you. Um, and, you know, so there's that aspect to it. Um, the, the, the other discussion that we had just recently was about technology and, and primarily technology in the new automobiles that minimize the, uh, the incident of injury uh, to, to folks that are involved in an accident. And so those are sort of the mechanical things. But let's say, Marsha, for all intents and purposes, that Robert is sort of like, you know what, I, I got evaluated. Um, I'm really not comfortable driving at night. Um, it, let's take this ritual approach to driving at night is what we are going to um, celebrate, I guess, or how, how do you? Yeah, well, here's the thing. And I just have to say, you know, it's interesting that you bring the, the technology supports. You know, right now for, for Robert and myself, people in their 60s, 70s, 80s up, the independence of having the, of having the keys to the car is not going to be the same for people coming up behind us. Driverless cars are going to become more of the norm. A lot of younger people today are not driving themselves because Uber is second nature to them, number one. If they have college debt, they don't want a car payment. They don't want an insurance payment, number two. And environmentally, they, they want to have a lighter footprint. So it's really, you know, all of that is going to keep shifting. But to your point and why I was invited today about should that time come to give up the keys, I can share with you what we've done. And, and what we've done is, first of all, I think that for older adults, um, what, what, what we did, first of all, was we interviewed people about their cars. You know, what are their car stories? What was the first car that they had? What car did they learn to drive in? Did their family have a car? Were there any stories about family vacations in the car? And created a timeline based on the cars of their life. You don't need photographs of those cars on the internet. You can find a photograph of any car ever manufactured, probably you know, in America and beyond. So you can create a visual timeline, which helps solicit the car stories. And it's very important to tell the stories. Not, I mean, for some people, they had their first romantic intimacy, inti intimate stories in the back of their car. Um, music is very, you know, what did you listen to in the car? It is a very multimodal experience being in a car. And to share those stories 
is really important. You don't need to have, you know, we would, we would make it into a party. We would have 15, 20 people at a party. All you need is one person to tell the stories to and to have someone listen. Robert Butler, who was one of the grandfathers of modern gerontology, he spoke a lot about the value of life review. He said, older people are given a bad rap. They're, it's assumed that they're sitting on their rocking chair living in the past. They're not living in the past. They're reviewing their lives to integrate their life experience. And we can do that through the prism of a car. What were the car stories? And then what we did for the ritual component was collect receipts, car payments, insurance, maintenance, all gas. What was gas like in 1952? What was gas like, two, what were you paying two months ago? Collect all those receipts and you can burn them. You are free of that financial obligation. And then of course, there are the IOUs or the commitments, the, the, the chits from your community of people who will say, you know, I'll, I'll take you to the library. I'll take you to the movies. I'll take you nowhere. When you just have that itch, you wanna be on the road, I'm your gal, give me a call. And you know, we'll, we'll often go. So there's that, um, so you're reflecting on the past, you're honoring the present that, yeah, I'm gonna give them up. You're letting go of, yes, you're letting go of some freedom. You're also letting go of some burden so you can enter in the new normal. There were a couple of opportunities where they were, we handed the keys over to a younger person you know, a grandparent to a grandchild who's going to get their first car or to, you know, some other younger person in their orbit. So that was how we used the elements of ritual. There was the beginning, the middle and end. There was the structure and the symbolism to, again, you honor the past, you accept the present, which always has some element of loss to it. So you can then enter into the new normal. And I think one of the most important things is you don't do it alone. You do it in community. It doesn't have to be family. It can be your, you know, the, the community you've, you've created through your life experience. So, you know, this is, look, the, the folks that are tuning in to look for kind of like the specific technology or like I saw somebody had talked about yellow glasses, yellow glasses. driving at night. The, to, we can help you with resources like that. I, I, I threw some in there, but this, I'm fascinated by this discussion because not just for driving, but like for moving, leaving the family home. These two, these two topics are things that people call me agonizing over every week of the year, yeah. um, giving up the home and driving. And I, I love the approach that you outlined in using the ritual and celebrating um, and and sort of, <coughs> I mean, it's hard to give up uh, the it's, way that we It's very been. hard and you have to honor that it's hard. Yeah. You know, you honor the past, you honor the memories, you honor the, you honor the poignancy. But, I mean, saying goodbye, saying goodbye is poignant. But, but, you know, like what, what I think one of the key things that you closed on is, is that you don't do this alone. Like we don't celebrate birthday parties are a ritual. Okay. And yes, we, sometimes we celebrate 
our birthday by ourselves, but most of the time we gather together and it's this celebration that you're moving to a, a new year or what have you. And I think these two things, get, uh, addressing driving, whether it be for yourself or a loved one, and the, the process of downsizing, they seem to, to me, based on the conversations that I have with people, to be more solo activities and almost instead of celebration, it's sort of um, family members get all on top of each other about it, you know, um, and um, with that, I don't want to I don't want to stray too far from giving up the car keys and, and that as a ritual, but on the on the move the like you just went through a move marcia um yeah. and uh you were telling me a little bit about how challenging that was um but uh, in fact giving away items like that we cherish uh i've seen many articles about people who have these ceremonial type parties where they put everything out and they invite people over. And when people pick things that they like, they talk about, you know, what that meant to them. Um, would that be in lines with what you're talking about? Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it's the sharing of the story, which is which which is where the value of it is, I think. I mean, when absolutely you lay the items out and it's 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 very powerful if it's and and it's you just you just can't you know toss it in a box and walk away you know it's denying it's denying the integrity of your own experience it's denying the integrity of the person that's coming behind you i i i love it um now let's see um charles says the automobile and the home are two primary pillars of independence in our society. Many times in, individuals have to give up both simultaneously. Very difficult and potential threat to one's identity. Um, the great comment, Charles, and I couldn't agree more. And I think, um, Marcia, in your experience in doing this, I, I imagine that not most of us are not really sort of open to this idea like there's there's i think initially because as charles said it's a pillar of independence and if i've got to give it up it's sort of like oh what are you talking about this wacky celebration and ritual thing yeah any, yeah. any words of wisdom there well i i no doubt i mean it's um it can feel a little you know woo woo or awkward and I just want to respond to Charles. This morning, I get this magazine in my email called Nautilus. And there was an article that was an excerpt from a book that just came out by an anthropologist who teaches at the University of Connecticut. I'm going to bastardize the pronunciation of his name, Dimitri Salalakis. And his book is called Ritual, How Seemingly Senseless Acts Make Life Worth Living. And the excerpt that they that they opened up with was a description of what the tennis player Rafael Nadal goes through every time he plays a match. And he does these things that you may think are peculiar, are superstitious, 
He refers to them as his personal rituals and he does them whether he's won a match or lost a match. And it's, again, I'm, I'm, I'm contributing that to try to mitigate the awkwardness that you might feel to try to begin to entertain how by using the elements of ritual to make these transitions, you are essentially combating what Charles suggested. You're not, you are, you are honoring the sense of self rather than letting it be robbed from you. Yeah. And it's from sharing the stories and again, honoring what the objects mean. You know, I had, when I was living in New York, I was once walking down Third Avenue and there was a tailpipe that evidently had dropped off of some automobile that some heavier automobile had run over. And I picked it up. To me, it looked like this magnificent necktie. It was this gorgeous piece of rusted metal that had this gorgeous shape of a necktie. And I used to hang it on the wall in our house. I got teased by neighbors. I got teased by my stepson. And then when it came down to, down to downsizing and I asked him, well, what do you want of mine? The first thing he said was the tailpipe. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. But, but again, yeah. So, so let's, I, I, I want Robert who is, you know, was willing to sort of share his personal um, experience with us on this call to, um, walk away with some with some thoughts and and here's number one first off robert brave enough to sort of say driving at night is something that i feel uncomfortable with and i'd like to to figure out a way that i can do it okay and so i you know what i would say to robert is to give you that sense of confidence go to, you know, go to an ophthalmologist, um, get evaluated by the driver, the, the driver rehab center that, that I've shared. Talk to ARP. ARP has some great resources for older drivers as well. It, it, take advantage of all of those things that are out there. But even if you took, you went through training, what have you, you may still get behind the wheel of a car. And I think the thing when it comes to driving that we all need to remember is this th th there can be some catastrophic ac accidents to ourselves and to the public when we're in a car no matter what our abilities are but um but but do as much re research as you can but but if you still are hesitant and you're sort of you know geez you know what i think it's best if i don't drive at night anymore then maybe consider the approach that Marcia is saying. You're not necessarily giving up dri driving all altogether. You're just giving up driving at night, and you know, having consider that uh, applying some of these approaches. I think that what you would probably discover is is that it would be very therapeutic. But I, but as Marcia had alluded to, if you invite a circle of your community to this, you're probably going to find that you're not doing this alone. And there are some supportive ideas and friends and people out there and organizations like, uh, I'm not sure where you are, Robert, but the Shepherd Center in um, 
which is a nationwide organization, has some amazing resources for volunteer drivers that are out there, as well as just getting tuned in on Uber and Lyft. You know, um, I think these younger folks have the way they, they've really figured it out. The, the amount of rides that you would pay for with Uber and Lyft, you could you could use Uber and Lyft every day of the week and you still would spend a lot less money than owning and maintaining your own automobile. Um, let's see, Charles says, your auto insurance company may have testing sites that can evaluate one's driving competency and make suggestions on aids and technologies that can compensate for some sensory loss. Great, great suggestion, Charles. Um, and oh, oh, there, well, Trista, you are exactly the person that I was referencing here in the, um, so Trista uh, is uh, also an excellent place to find a driver rehab specialist is ADED.net. Um, and uh, uh, Jennifer, we've got a tennis fan in the audience. You had to bring up Raphael. Uh, the, uh, although it was exciting seeing a local DC uh, player um, beat him in the US Open. Um, <laughs> Nadal is the best is a great player, one of the best ever. His court behavior suggests he may he may be on the spectrum. It's not simply a ritual. <laughs> yeah, I like how he, he deals with the uh, the his towels. Um, but um, and Trista, everybody can read in chat. Trista is one of the driving rehab specialists that I was telling you about, and she uh, put her contact info in there in, in chat. Um, well, so, Marsha, um, we've talked a little bit about creating these rituals for mm -hmm. giving up the car keys and giving up your home. Are there some other sort of elements that you've discovered i mean you you did write the book on using <laughs> rituals to improve the quality of life for older adults are so, there's some other things that came out of your research in putting this together that well, we yeah we did our initial uh study was working with older adults who are making the transition from independent living to assisted living and that was as much uh there was as much value of integrating elements of ritual for the older person as it was for the staff, because the staffing of facilities tend to, as we know, those facilities are businesses. And sometimes it's, um, you know, certain, certain considerations get lost in decision-making processes. And sometimes, so we, we worked a lot with staff members to ritualize welcoming people into the facility, to making them feel, um, you know, comfortable at least, especially in the dining hall. It was very interesting too how the dining hall in a lot of these facilities was a rather embattled, sometimes embattled environment for the staff. And we, we enacted a series of rituals for the staff to, um, to help them feel, to, to give them a fresh approach weekly or monthly to the dining hall. And it was, you know, sometimes it used to be if you moved into a new house, you were given a salt shaker and a broom. 
And we use things like a salt shaker and a broom to sweep away the arguments that they witnessed, to wash, and it sounds, it may sound a little juvenile, but, it, but I can tell you that it's not. There's that awkwardness of allowing yourself to act it out, to use the symbols, to express yourself and tell the stories. So then you can start anew. Yeah. And, and well, I, I, I think this is fascinating because I think that while many senior living communities, um, and I'm, I'm sort of thinking of like, let's say somebody is making, they're in a life plan community and they're transitioning from independent to assisted, like you said. From the continuum I, of care. I, yeah. I feel like, especially today, that, that communities are much more progressive and they're, you, you know, they've evolved into really looking at the person and what have you. But this is a great reminder because like you said, it's a business and it's sort of like, and and when it starts to turn into um i'm getting uh x person out of this room and moving into this room no. then it you're you're it's not person centered care and i i think about hospitals uh are another great place where this occurs is is that where somebody go, has an accident and they're in the hospital and it i i hear this on a regular basis it feels like they're pushing me out the door you yeah. know and um the but staff helping folks make that you know a, a ritual and a transition i think this is one of these things where you know it does seem a little bit odd um and and I admit that probably there's people in the audience right now shaking their heads. It's like, yeah, it's never going to work with my dad or what have you. But I think for those of us that are out there is, is that if you can begin to sort of exercise this muscle like Nadal does, you know, <laughs> um, and 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 establish these rituals and celebrate these changes that we have in our lives as we go through life it will be more comfortable and more familiar. And, and I think that again, you know, like what, again, the extreme example, like what happened in New York City at 9-11, there is an inner impulse, I think, there, there is an intuitive impulse to, to honor transitions and to not get in the way of that so that you can fulfill that. I know that my dad had dementia and was in a long-term care facility. And I, and I got very close to the staff people that were caring for him. And for them, it's very difficult, for the staff, it's very difficult when someone they've gotten close to, who they've been caring for for five, six, seven, eight years, when they pass, they've gotten close to the family. I got very close to his caregivers. And, you know, I, I, we, we had a ritual together. You know, I, I just got over my own discomfort with it and just thought, put, you know, put my, you know, put my mouth where my, you know, put my life where my mouth was. And it was very valuable for all of us. You know, um, just, yeah. I realized we, I put in the link to the book that you, um, oh, mm -hmm. the ritual book, How Seamless Acts Make Life Worth Living. But somebody was just asking about your book uh, and, and your book is, uh, transitional keys, a guidebook, a guidebook, rituals to improve the quality of life for older adults. I did a quick search on Amazon. It's it's not there. Is the best way for people to get that to email you? Absolutely. Okay. Um, so I am dropping Marsha's email contact in, and um, uh, 
she will send that to you or, or tell you, give you information on how you can get absolutely, that. absolutely. And it really is it it, it really is a, a a workbook that you can walk through a variety of of um, things. And then what I like is it it really has a bunch of um, of case studies in here. Um, like the one we were just talking about, a welcome ceremony at a senior living residence. And, you know, like you think about having that downsizing party where you're giving mm -hmm. away things and then the, 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 the welcoming party at your new home. Yeah. And um, I think one of the challenges that Charles brought up is that a lot of these transitions that we are going through as as older adults um there's we we lean into the sense of loss more than we lean into the sense of of opportunity and independence and um and it's just not it's not our cultural norm i mean there are other cultures where it is not you know it's where it, it's it's more integrated in the in the life cycle. It's just that just because it's not a norm, we can make it a norm, make it a new norm. And again, not denying that there's not loss. I mean, there's there's loss there's loss if you go to a wedding. There's loss. You know, there's the couple. You're happy for them. Maybe some, maybe you're not happy for them. I don't know. <laughs> but but they're saying goodbye to their singlehood. You know, mm -hmm. there's a loss there. I think in every transition, there's some degree of change, which means there's some loss and there's some new normal that yeah. you're being supported into. Yeah, and I think I, I, I think going back to the driving one is is that if it's your um, if it's you or your loved one and you're talking about the loss of driving, um, I think it's celebrating how great it was to drive all those years and the memories and things of that nature. And then also, as we have just discussed here, it's not all that bad, you know? I mean, like there are, there are ways to get around besides getting in your personal automobile. And that personal automobile can also, we can celebrate the, the new money in your budget, you know, the new money in your budget and and a, and a different and a new sense of interdependence, which yeah. is a value that I think um, is now part of the lexicon because of environmental and environmental awareness. You know, there's a there's a new there's an interdependence now to let your community support you in a way yeah. that everyone recognizes. And and I, I mean, we're having a discussion later this month on identifying your network. Okay. Like, mm -hmm. um, we've got this wonderful, uh, um, Glenna has this wonderful platform where she graphically sort of illustrates your network through a series of interview questions and then discovers the weaknesses in huh. your network. And those weaknesses may be areas where, you pay somebody, an Uber driver, a Lyft driver, or you need to establish some ties in the community, like with the Shepherd Center. And the Shepherd Center, I know in the villages, I, I use this synonymously, Shepherd Centers and Villages, one of their main 
deliverables is giving rides to people as volunteers. And there are tons of people out there that are signed up that want to give their neighbors a ride because they want to help someone and they want to be connected to their neighbors and their communities. And it, it might not feel the same as it did before, you know, when you go into your garage and you, you crank up the old, you, you know, steel chariot and drive it down the street. But, um, but if you celebrate the, the past, uh, maybe it's, will be safer and you'll meet more people and you'll still feel uh, purposeful and connected. And if you have someone driving you, then you'll have a captive audience to share all your stories yeah. about all your car stories. Yeah, and and uh, your um, your your children and your relatives uh, may or may not have heard those stories, but uh, the strangers in the village and Shepherd Center might really enjoy hearing those stories. I, I got to tell you, my, my both of my parents died right before COVID. And I heard a story I had never heard about them before, which about cars, where my mother in the 50s had was a very anxious young driver and she would not get behind the wheel. And my father um, orchestrated a stunt where he came home from work, told her he left his briefcase in the car asked her to get it for him. And then he locked all the doors and wouldn't let her in until she drove around the block a couple of times. And I had never heard that before. And I was delighted to hear that. Yeah, no, there, there's a lot of stories out there and, and bringing people together. Well, well, this, is, this has been a, a really eye-opening um, discussion, Marcia. I, I hope people got I, thinking about it. I, I really think, um, uh, oh, and Robert, yes, I am going to copy all of chat and um, along with this recording, and you can access all of the comments and things like that. And that'll be available at our website, if, at which I'm gonna drop in um, to chat right here. Uh, that'll be available later this afternoon. It usually takes a couple of hours and we, we upload it. We upload the chat, the comments. We create a podcast so you could just walk your dog and listen to this. Um, the um, Let's see, Karen says, for me, I'm a very practical thinker. And I say to myself, are my feelings of a loss of independence and freedom more valuable than the safety of another person? I would never want to put someone else in danger because of my limitations. I also worked in a law firm and I do not want to be involved in a lawsuit brought about with my negligence. Yeah, you know, Karen, thank you for sharing that. That's what I was trying to sort of elaborate. You, you articulated it much better than I did. I think that that really, that hopefully can make, um, the transition with driving a little bit easier okay okay um but um so so marcia um we we shared your contact information right. folks can reach out to you to Absolutely. get your workbook do you do you do any coaching in this area or um before covid did a lot of uh workshops seminars um open to doing small group coaching, independent. 
uh, have consulted with some individuals, helping them craft rituals for their families and for their communities. So absolutely open to meeting any and anyone in your community and see how we can help, you know, apply the tools that we've experienced to help them. Absolutely. And thank you for, um, for the opportunity. Well, th thank you. I mean, this has uh, really been an interesting discussion and thank you to our community members in the audience who, as always, never fail with some really great yeah. um, comments to, to send us down various rabbit holes here. And, and I can send you a link to the article that was in Spirituality and Health about when it's time to give up the keys, if you want to include that in the, in the, in, as a resource. Absolutely. I will. Um, I, I think I have that. But I think, send I think, it to yeah, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll make sure that that's with the recording. Great. So, um, all right, folks. Well, um, thank you so thank much. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> and we'll see you soon.